What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. My guest today is a fire captain by the name of Chris Ruano. He's a seasoned veteran of both municipal and wildland firefighting. We talk about all that uh, and so much more. Hope you enjoy. So, so Chris Ruano, welcome, brother, um, and thank you for coming and sitting down with me uh, and rapping on the Fireground Fitness Podcast. And um, I want to talk to you today about uh, your experience as a as a firefighter, and uh, you do a lot of wildland work as well as uh, as well as uh, metropolitan uh, industrial and commercial and residential type firefighting. And um, so, I want to talk about all that. Um, but before we do that, oh, I also want to talk about your uh, your podcast, Prep and Defend, and kind of your inspiration for that, et cetera. Before we do that, though, walk me into uh, who is Chris Ruano. Tell me more about you. Where'd you come from? How'd you get here? All right. Well, thank you very much for having me on. And definitely, yes. So like you said, my name is Chris Ruano, and I'm 44 years old. I'm a firefighter, fire captain now here in Southern California. And as you ha- you had mentioned, uh, being a professional firefighter in Southern California, it goes with a lot of um, wildland responsibilities as well. So um, most people kind of know that about, you know, California and out West, but, you know, it is a little bit different than some of the other dynamics in other parts of the nation. Well, can I just jump in real quick and just say, when I Uh think about wildland, it, for my, the longest time for me, when I thought about wildland firefighting, I thought big trees, huge forests. Um, but we see, there's a lot of levels to that. And I know you're probably going to get into that, but it's not that simple. Right. Yes, it, it is. It's, uh, it is, I mean, so much of it is, I guess a lot of people think of it as, you know, forest firefighting. And so forest firefighting, you know, our national lands are heavily wooded, but, uh, up and down, the state and a lot of other regions, you know, in the West is, you know, that urban interface is really what we deal with on a lot of uh, municipal departments. So if you're working for a federal agency that has responsibility for large, you know, pieces of public land, there's going to be a lot of forest involved, but a lot of the municipal agencies, you know, we're really concerned with, and we spend a lot of time fighting fires in that wildland urban interface. So where the homes meet, um, and in Southern California, it's typically brush areas in that transition. You know, there's there's not too many heavily wooded areas, and they would be at really high altitudes. But for the most part, most of the homes and the population is on that transition of the brush um, chaparral fuel model. Right. Um, you know, in, into those neighborhoods. So, yeah. which which poses a very different type of threat and is a very different type of firefighting, I imagine. But I I took us off track. <laughs> so I want to, but I want to hear about. You, you were telling us kind of a little outline of who you were, and I totally completely sidetracked you. No, that's great. And so gr- growing up in Southern California, I was interested, you know, thinking about what I wanted to do for a career. And I wanted something that was outdoors. For my, myself, I just was kind of worried about being in a cubicle for 30, 35 years. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I asked my father, who's a deputy, and I said, you know what? Your job seems pretty cool. You got good benefits. You can take care of a family. I'm interested in having a family and I don't want to just work in a cubicle. I think your job's pretty cool. I think I maybe want to do that. And he said, no. He said, <laughs> uh, me and a bunch of the, the guys I work with, if we had it to do over again, we talk about we should be, we would have been firemen. And I'm like, what's that? And he said, well, why don't you, you go talk to your friend. He's a fire explorer. And talk to him and start and go check that out. And so that's what I did. And then, of course, as soon as I visited a fire station, started finding out about the job, I was just completely attracted to it. And I was so thankful, you know, got some great mentors that I really looked up to, you know, because I'm like 18 years old, getting ready to graduate. And then I just became all about that. So, you know, through people telling me what I needed to do to get the job and then you know, became a fire explorer, which is a volunteer program where you get to hang around the fire station and participate and learn. And so I started finding out what it, what I needed to do. So took classes at the college, um, you know, uh, my path took me on um, working on a forest service hotshot crew while I was going, finishing up my associate's degree in fire science. 
did that. And then I, you know, kept just chipping away, building that resume. And then I got hired on an apartment here in Southern California. And, and it was my, my dream job really. And just being so thankful for that. I've, I've always, uh, the time that I've been on, I've been on 20 years on my agency that I on that I'm on now with a few years prior, um, working for the forest service, but the whole time I've just been really interested in, in learning as much as I can, you know, pushing myself to, to have a good reputation and to be good at what I'm doing and to be known as somebody that uh, the team team members can rely on. And then as I keep ticking off the years, you know, I find myself more and more in that same mentorship role and um, being involved in a lot of teaching and training and where I've kind of landed myself now 20 years you know, a lot of people in whatever career they're in, and certainly in the fire service, you become kind of specialized and you have interests that you have invested a lot of time and training in. And for me, that was the wildland um, side of our department. So I've been heavily involved in our wildland section. Um, for the last almost 10 years, I was able to just be assigned strictly to our wildland division. So that was leading inmate fire crews for a few years, and then our paid fire crews for several years after that. So that's, that's really probably what I'm most passionate about in the fire service. Wow. And my, my current position, I work in a, in a heavy commercial area assigned to a dual company house with a engine and a tiller quint again, in a heavy industrial area. So that's kind of different, definitely that I've been used to for the last almost 10 years, a completely different job. Um, so it's almost like as I go into the wildland back to the stations and back and forth, it's a full on career change. And so that keeps it, uh, that keeps it pretty fresh and very challenging because I want to stay on top of my game and and there's a lot to learn on both sides. Mm -hmm. So, um, that's kind of what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Oh, that's awesome. You so I want to, I've got so many questions. I want to go back though. You said something that, um, but piqued my interest. You said you you specifically said you didn't want to be stuck in a cubicle. And I thought that was interesting because at at that age for me, I didn't know what I wanted, let alone what I didn't want. I was just like floating around clueless. How did you land on that specific concern? Well, for me, I think a lot of it had to do with I grew up in a rural area. And I mentioned in Southern California, there's a lot of areas that are up against public lands or, or, you know, in that in the brush areas. And that's kind of the, mm. the area that I grew up in a rural mountain community. So I was constantly outdoors. I was just kind of, you know, making, you know, riding my dirt bike or making bike jumps and going fishing down at the lake. So I really enjoyed the outdoors. And then as I started, you know, friends of mine were, were taking the path of going to colleges and, and, you know, maybe in different business realms. I don't know. It just really didn't interest me that much. I really liked being outside and being physical, um, hiking. So I think I just, I just wanted something that was kind of adventurous, I guess. And and as I mentioned, even initially, I thought maybe law enforcement just because Mm. I wanted something where every day would be different. And maybe I didn't know what was going to happen every day. It wasn't just always planned out, you know, but, but certainly you have a routine on, on any job, but I think I was kind of interested in, in that where every day is different. You don't know where the challenges are. And when I was really young, I mean, every Halloween, I think I dressed up as like an army guy, you know, or a Navy <laughs> SEAL or something. You know, I just was like, so I, I think I was also interested in some of these like high functioning teams or being part of a team that, you know, is is doing physical things, you know, and, and solving problems and challenges that way. So that probably contributed a lot. Um, and then for sure, as I learned about what the fire job was and what it was like to be a firefighter and and the type of people yeah. um, that I saw already in the fire stations, the people that I was learning from, mm. I really, you know, I wanted to become that, you know? So that's kind of, I think for me, how it, how it kind of went that way initially. Nice. No, that, that's interesting. It, it, it's cool that the, you know, once you get exposed to something and suddenly the, the path begins to reveal itself a little bit and you start realizing, Oh, those, those, that pathway matches my values and, I think at that age, when you're 18, 19, you don't really know what exactly you're going to do. You could have gone down that, you know, that on that first time out as a summer, uh, your first time doing wildland for the summer and been like, Ooh, yeah, no, (laughs) this is not quite the right thing. But what was it about that, that set the hook for you? 
as far as uh, you know, we're talking about going well, staying the, on the municipal well, yeah, side so you, and not well. No, you went down staying. the you went down the forestry side, right? As when you were eighteen, right? Maybe yeah. I'm putting words in your mouth. That's how I no, imagine. No, no, that's how no, I imagine that, it, right? Yeah. So, 18 years old, you graduate high school, and then you're like, "Okay, I'm going down this path." And what's that first that first time out as a, on a hand crew? What's that like? Yeah, so I'll get into that. And and for me, it was it was a couple years into my my pursuing the fire service um, that I did the, the the forestry or the or the forest service oh. wildland. Oh, maybe I misunderstood. So no, what were you we'll, doing in those we'll be, first couple of years? Yeah, it, it was, it was, well, it took me about five years to get hired four or five years. So it oh, was okay. relatively quick. I mean, I was just finding out the next thing and getting it done. So for me, I had started on the education side, you know, taking some classes, doing fire academies. And then a few years in, I had finished my associate's degree. I got my firefighter one, which is required here for most agencies in California I had knocked out some of these, this education stuff. And even just, even though that only took like two, almost three years, I felt I needed to round out with some work experience. And so that's when, after two years of being around the fire stations and being involved in, in academies and the Explorer program that, um, and also I will say again, it, it came back to the mentors and the people that I felt I wanted to model myself after. Yeah. So many of the folks that were mentoring me and, and teaching me and training me had this fire crew background and it was just looked upon you know so much as this you know difficult job that maybe a lot of people didn't want to do and even in my academies that i went to the one wild land day that we went to was always one of the most difficult days because it's just it was so different than all the other stuff of dragging hose and being in a classroom that it was all day outside and it was extremely difficult and that attracted me to doing that job as well so i knew that 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 I wanted to do that as part of my journey as well. Like it was always going to be for me that I, w I had that goal of getting hired on a municipal department and, you know, nothing was going to, to stop me, but I, I did have some things that I wanted to, to learn and to do on my path to doing that. And again, I wanted that, that hard work of being on a hotshot crew or, you know, being on a hand crew. Be and I think it was because so many of the people that I had looked up to, they still talked about those times, you know, as so beneficial mm -hmm. and so foundational for them, you know, as a young man, you know, being around all these other young men or young people going, going after it at that age that uh, I, I was, I was attracted to that. So I wanted to do that as part of the path. So, so I, I did get to do that for three seasons. I wasn't full time. It was a seasonal job. So in the winter I would do odd jobs or continue to work on uh, finishing my school and then it, and then I continued to test and try to get um, hired. But for, but for me, I wasn't really interested in making a career out of that because, again, the, I think the, the lifestyle that I was looking for, family, and what I had been exposed to that I had already decided that I, I would like to be on a municipal agency and, you know, and to do that. And, and so um, it was just as it went. And, and again, this is just, you know, my passion was awakened to be a fireman. And then I really loved the wildland, but I thought I would never do it again because of family and time commitments. And, and just, I, I just didn't think it would, it would come back. But then as, as it happened that I had the opportunity in my career as a firefighter to go back and do that for 10 years, it was, it was incredible. Just kind of how it worked out. And that was just, uh, you know, I feel it was, you know, I think me on and just kind of keeping my passions you know I, it's how i was able to do that again was outstanding yeah so so for those who are uninitiated uh describe the 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 work of a, of a wildland team what's that look like what's the day in the life of a wildland firefighter or hotshot crew look like right um so I'll, and i'll just kind of show some contrast because as i mentioned that I've been going kind of back and forth between the two um, sides of the job. And for those of you that don't know, in the fire station, it's, it's very routine. Um, you know, of course, you're not going to know the call of the emergencies that happen that day. But the routine is that, you know, you're we're within a district, you report to duty, find out what needs to get done, talk about it that morning, get a little workout in, uh, get some drilling and training, fire prevention, 
um, you know, cook meals, you're around the fire station and it's a, it's a 24 hour period. And you kind of, you, you go through that, but you have this fire station, this home that, that you're And let's not forget that you're running calls all day as well. Right. You have this home that you're running in and out of all day, you know, but you're coming back to that home base, you know, right. throughout the day, yeah. running calls, um, you know, going to incidents and, and, and you may not be there much at all, but, but that's just kind of how, how it, it goes. And, um, and then on the wildland job, it's typically more just outdoor work projects. So you show up, you still have kind of a briefing in the morning, find out what the work is to get done. And then you'll go out and hike. And so the PT lasts like two hours and, you know, you're out with the crew and, um, you know, you're outdoors and then you typically come back, gear up, get all the tools you need and equipment for whatever work project, you know, for whether it's, it's doing construction type work or fixing, you know, the public lands and removing trees or digging ditches, you know, whatever it is, but it's just straight manual labor all all day without really going back to that home base. Mm. Um, you're eating a sack lunch. And then for me, I remember sitting, uh, you know, when I was running an inmate crew, it's just me by myself. And so, um, you know, you kind of, it's just a little different. You're having lunch by yourself. You don't have that same camaraderie that you would, you know, cause there's a rank structure, you know, it's not like being in the fire station. It's just, it was quite different. So, yeah. but, Are, I, but, I, but I, I actually enjoyed the, that. What that, type of, uh, Outdoor stuff. What type? This is going to maybe sound like a. Well, I'm not sure what this sounds like. <laughs> what type of f- people can be on an inmate crew? Like, what type of criminals? I guess, for lack of a better expression, I don't know how to say that. No, right. That's that's a that's a great question, and a lot of people wonder that. You know, they're like, oh my gosh, you guys are on this, you know, crew with all these murderers. What are they going to do? Yeah, uh, the level weapons? of security, like, right? Like, <laughs> right. Well, that yeah, that's that's not really the 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 type of incarcerated firefighters that you know as they're called typically is they're low lowered level um offenses so yeah, that makes sense. Um, they have to qualify to be able to have that kind of freedom that yes we're you know it's not a regular prison uh they have to have a trend of not being violent within so you know such a long period of time you know or they can't have those kinds of offenses right so they're lower level inmates is what we call it yeah. but the dilemma is in california and, and the, over the last year with just public opinion of you know people not wanting you know they they kind of sometimes look at it as oh these people are in prison and you're using them like slave labor and then Mm. and then you have uh with covid over the last year we really have lost nearly all of the inmate crews because anybody that can qualify to be on those crews because of their lower level offenses well they're just getting released so that, oh, so there's really no longer a pool, uh, a huge pool of these inmates that would qualify for the program. And they would, they would sign up to do it because they would get time off their sentence or some of them just liked, they also, they would rather work outside and work a laborious job all day long than to be, you know, stuck in a, in a regular prison. So, so it is going to be the, the, their lower level inmates. But again, um, these days, most of them are getting released. So we're kind of running out of, of people that they can put on cruise. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Did, was there a, a security detail that came with them or how does that work structurally? Yeah. So that was interesting too, because it was at a, these are all at fire camps and a fire camp is co it's kind of co-administrated by the department of corrections and the fire personnel. And so the corrections the prison people there there's some guards there there's a few but they take care of housing feeding logistically taking care of the inmates and on the fire department side uh, you are just the crew supervisor crew foreman so you just take custody of them at around eight o'clock in the morning and you turn them back over to them at about three o'clock in the evening and if there's a, a call that goes out at night then you'll you'll re you know, check them out. There's like a roll call and you have identification cards for everybody. So they're, I see. you're, you're just taking custody of them for the day to take them out and train them and to do work projects with them. So that's how that kind of works. So they're, they are there at the facility and, and we turn them in at night. Hmm. Interesting. Was there, I'm assuming that, you know, those folks really enjoyed that labor. So they'd probably be pretty solid group of folks to work with. No, it, it was very, very interesting. Just a totally different dynamic. There was a lot to learn because I never, you know, like I said, we all signed up to be 
firefighters, I, I never thought I would be working around inmates. So there was, there was a lot of training involved in, in the, mm. you know, there's laws and they teach you procedures and, but, uh, but really they, they, most of them were great. I, I had very few problems out of the hundreds of inmate firefighters that I had on my crews over the years. Um, it was, it was very rare that I had a, a, a really bad problem with anybody. And then if there was, you know, that wasn't really my job to, to, you know, do some of the custody stuff, you know, I just, we just turn them back in. If they didn't want to work, they don't have to, you know, we're not, right. we're not holding them there against their will. They can go back to prison anytime they want. So right. if, if they weren't into the program, then they would go do something else. But most of them enjoyed uh, the, you know, just the different lifestyle for them versus, versus the prison lifestyle. So right. it worked out great. And, and they were many times great workers. Um, one thing interesting about training and working with the inmate firefighters was that, like I had said, you know, I signed up to be a firefighter. Well, all of these guys, none of them, this is not what they went to prison to go do. I mean, they didn't, right. <laughs> they didn't right. commit a crime so they could fight fires. Right. So you had to, you had to teach them everything and provide motivation in different ways. It's not like they're, they signed up to, to do this and they were just kind of doing it to, for whatever their reasons were. But, uh, yeah. but it was, it was a lot different motivation level than you would expect from a crew of firefighters. Yeah. So as an engine boss, what type of leadership challenges did you face? Um, as far as leading the crews you're yeah. talking? Yeah. With... Yeah. So all different. I mean, you know, it, it really was a crash course an accelerated course in, you know, leading and leadership and, um, you know, finding different, everybody is motivated by different things and in different ways. And, um, you know, a, a lot of the, the, you know, as the, as people call them, you know, convicts or, you know, they try to con you and, and there's always a, a game to be played a lot of times, but, mm. but I think that's pretty, it was, I was pretty transparent about it. Like, look, here's, here's what I know you guys want to do today. Here's the kind of thing I know you guys want to do, which is nothing. And, you know, you, you want this, you want that but here's what we're going to do today. And, you know, um, there's, there's other, the, you know, the little perks you can give them like, you know, different, uh, you know, some lunch locations are, are more desirable than others. Uh, some, some work projects that we do are more desirable than others, you yeah. know? And, and so you just kind of use different, different things that, you know, you can use as, as leverage and as, as, uh, you know, incentive, to get everybody on the same page and um you know really w w there's a whole different dynamic you know we're talking a lot about the inmate stuff but there's yeah. they have their own governing rules amongst their races even you know there's mm. politics and rules that they follow and so there's a lot of self-policing within the crew um you know each each race can kind of you know they talk to their own people and kind of get people in line because they they understand that if one guy's causing problems it's going to bring, you know, the leadership down on the whole crew and they don't want that. So they'll kind of, right. they, they kind of handle, you know, they, they really have a lot of, uh, uh, kind of, like I said, their own procedures and rules and, and programming and etiquette of how you conduct yourself, you know, when you're a part of, of the crew. So they, 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 they understand all of that, but it was a lot of, a lot, a lot of learning and, and it was a hundred percent just mentorship, right? You're just learning for the people that are there ahead of you. You know, I remember showing up on my first day after the training, you know, and I'm finally in charge and they say, okay, we're going up to this such and such, you know, motorway to go do such and such job. And they're like, all right, let's go. And, um, you know, I had to go to somebody. I said, look, I don't know where we're going and I don't even know what to do when we get there. Like you're really going to, I'm going to go with you, you know? And so there's a, there was a ton of just mentorship and learning. And then of course, any, any problems you had with any of the, of the workers, you know, you would, maybe bring it up to somebody else and, and Hey, here's, here's the issues I'm dealing with. Right. Just like any, any new leader, you know, new fire captain or fire officer, you know, Hey, here's an issue that I'm having. Here's how I handled it. Uh, what do you think? What have you done in the past? You know, yeah. you ask those people that have more experience yeah. and, and then you kind of figure out your, your way of leading based on a whole, you know, uh, just diverse array of all the people that you're pulling information from and you kind of figure it out and figure out what works for you over time. Right. Well, it's interesting because every, every culture, every group, every community, every team has its own dynamics, but it's all kind of the same principles, right? You have informal leaders and you have uh, philosophies and concerns and considerations inside that unit. And so as a leader that comes in, like I think about this when I was a, as a roving fire captain, right? Roving to different. Now I'm the, I'm the formal 
designated organizational leader. But there's a hierarchy in that firehouse. And, and that work group has dynamics that I am coming into. And I think that's interesting. You know, you talked about the dynamics of the, of the uh, convict hand crews and how they have their own hierarchy in their team. Right. And that's really fascinating to me because everywhere you go, you, you have to find out what the dynamic is that exists there and then figure out what that group needs to be successful from a leadership perspective. Right. Yeah, absolutely. It's still, it's still people. You're still leading people with, you know, and, yeah. and so the same with, things that motivate, um, you know, free people is the same thing that motivates, you know, when you're talking about a fire crew, it's, it's all just firefighters. It doesn't, it doesn't right. really matter. Right. And that's what I found as I transitioned from leading the inmate crews to the, the paid firefighters, which were, you know, younger, high, high, more highly motivated. Um, but, but it was the same, you know, whether, as I found with crew people a lot of times, and, and we joke a lot, you know, as a supervisor, you know, you just kind of, you're always trying to, to get more done and right. you know, you're kind of trying to balance everything out. But, you know, uh, as I found a lot of times, it was like, whether they were incarcerated or free, they will do what you ask them to do. And that's pretty much where they, that's pretty much it. Like <laughs> I just thought like, Oh, these guys are free. They're just, everybody's going to be just doing stuff all day long. You can't stop them. You can't, you know, right. they'll just do everything on their own. And it was like, well, no, you know, they, everybody gets tired. Everybody has, has the, you know, other things on their mind and they'll do what you ask them to do. They'll, 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 they'll do what you need them to do. And, and most of the time, you know, for most people, that's kind of where, where it'll go. They'll keep you satisfied but most people aren't looking for doing extra stuff. Yeah. Yeah, it's true, right? The people will do just enough typically. Yeah. Enough to keep you off their back and to satisfy <laughs> the requirements enough right. to, yeah, not bring any heat on them. I mean, that's really, you know, right. so that's, that's another leadership thing. Like you're talking about there is, is, you know, where you set that bar, you know, different people, it's, you can satisfy one leader by doing practically nothing. Well, you know, you have another leader that they're going to have very high standards and there's going to be a lot more accountability, you know, and that's kind of the middle ground. And you could have another leader where you're never going to satisfy them, yeah. you know, regardless of what you do. But, uh, but like, yeah, you kind of, you, you got to kind of rise to whichever, whichever supervisor you're working under. Right. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, though. There's a, there's kind of a, I don't know if this is a real law or not, but I'm making, I'm going to call it a law, a law of conservation, right? You want to, you know, human beings are constantly uh, in a fight against um, using just enough energy to sustain their level of survival. Um, and if you, because at any point a lion could come along and you got to go, right? You got to, you got to move super fast. So we're conserving energy on a regular basis. And I think about this in terms of firefighters all the time, because there's, when I was in the Marine Corps, I learned this great expression. They said, hey, why why run when you can walk, right? <laughs> why walk yeah. when you can stop and stand? Why stand when you can sit? Why sit when you could lay down? <laughs> so oh, yeah. ultimately, every time we'd be on a patrol or any kind of movement, if we came to a stop, everyone would lay down <laughs> on the ground because you're, you're, you know, you're carrying this heavy load and it's, you, know, you need to conserve the load. Um, conserve your energy rather so that you can continue to sustain operations. So I think about that in terms of, you know, what we expect out of people, right? There's a certain amount of pushing we can do, but at a certain point, um, we have to be mindful as leaders of the, um, this need to maintain a certain, uh, threshold of reserves, if you will. Oh, definitely. Yeah. They'll, and I, I, you kind of reminded me and I just, I remembered this thing as I was learning to, to lead and I was in the training, you know, on, on, you know, it's just, it's not like I was just put in charge of, of paid people first. Right. So my first exposure to being a leader was with these incarcerated people, you know, and, and I'm like, I don't know, man, this could be crazy. They're prisoners. You know, these guys are all tatted up head to toe. You know, this is going to be, you know, I don't even know what to do. And, and I just remember one thing in the training that, that served me well working with the inmate crews and then all the way through working with the paid crews and, and then to my current position as a fire officer was, you know, some, something along the way that, that stuck to me in training was, you know, they described the leadership principle of, um, you know, honoring what you say, like, you know, your word being, being worth something and that people can, can trust what you say. And, and the example of when you're giving people tasks, um, 
you know, that you, if you tell them this is what you want them to do and they finish it really quickly, you know, not just piling more on and piling, piling more. It's like, it's like mm-hmm. that thing we were talking about, right? They, well, they're like, I did what you asked and, and, you know, um, not chaining it on them all right. the time. Right. Not, not moving the goalposts on a regular basis. And, and we know that, you know, on, on emergency incidents, you can imagine, you know, that you don't always get to see where those goalposts are. You think you're finished and you're not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, mm-hmm. so there's that kind of fluidity, but for the most part, I, I remembered that. And I really tried to, I was like, I, these guys need to trust me. They need to, what I say, they have to be able to trust it. And I've really tried to honor, you know, what I say to people and follow through on what I say. And as example on work projects at the very beginning, maybe it's just clearing weeds for a hundred yards. Okay. And that's our assignment. Let's just say that was it. And then I go, Hey, we need to clear this. You know, I want it to look just like this. I want it to look six feet wide, completely clean of any debris or any vegetation. And, you know, we're going to get down to the end there, you know, and that's kind of what we had for the day. Well, I, I was told so many times of stories where they'll just blow that thing out, right? They'll just like, okay, that's it. And they're done like in five minutes. <laughs> and that did happen to me a couple of times until I can judge their pace. It was like, hey, guys, here's what we got today. I need you to do this, this, that. And they just knock it out in like an hour. Right. Well, we still got like six hours to go. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that was fast. But I, but I remember honoring, you know, going, okay, well, that was on me. I got to learn this to, the next day. You know, I'll get it down better, but we can go do other training stuff. I, I need to go do, you know, I need to learn some other stuff and do some training. So I, but I wouldn't just keep adding things on, um, you know, moving the goalposts. But, uh, yeah. but I feel that that has served me well in, in just a little bit as far as just that lower level at, from the beginning, just establishing trust in your, in your subordinates that, yeah. uh, you know, that they can trust what you say, um, that you're, you know, a person that follows through with, with what you say and, and you know it, it bleeds up over into a whole bunch of stuff but that was just one thing i remember no when that's I was working with these guys was that's huge man that word the word you use trust is probably one of the most important if not the most important word when we talk about leadership is if you expect people to follow you you know to the gates of hell so to speak uh well they have to trust you and how do you build trust you know it comes through you know you're not going to be just granted trust or you might be granted a certain amount of trust based on reputation or based on, you know, rank, right. And, and position. Sometimes you'll get a little bit of trust given to you because of that, but you can quickly erode that trust with simple things like you're just talking about here by not honoring your word when it comes to what we're going to do for the day or what the tasks are, et cetera. Um, Or even not even not honoring the informal leaders and and kind of working with the people that you're assigned, you know, that you're uh, have a stewardship over. Um, It's it's really dynamic and tenuous and you got to be you got to honor that. Yeah. And and it's that, you know, what goes hand in hand with that is the consistency, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, they can consistently trust you or they can that you're consistent in you know, your program that you set out for your, your firefighters that day, you know, whether it's in the station or, or what have you, but you're the, the, the people that you're entrusted to lead that, uh, you know, when you lay things out of the priorities are set for the day, those are the priorities. And, and, and if it's a priority, you're going to do everything you can to get those done. Then when the priorities are met, we can move on to these other things, you know, as far right. as, okay, what needs do you have? How can I help you now? Okay. We, we need to, we took care of those things that I told you had to get done. Yeah, and now we can move down to you know, okay, what do you need? What can we do? Um, and and then you know, you're, that's when you can kind of get into to more you know, serving the needs of because there is those things that we have to get done, and those are like non-negotiables. But then you really want to be able to have time for them to accomplish those, so that you can you know serve the needs of what your team members are needing as well, whether it's training, you know, they have questions or you know things that they need to do as well. So um, that's one way to kind of prioritize that and, and get to those as well. Yeah, I like that. Have you, uh, during the course of your wildland experience, ever had any sketchy situations? Yes, a couple. And in fact, um, I will say, like, in fact, just this last week, I'm off on an injury, but I, um, that I was, I incurred off duty, but there was a, you know, sometimes they call them, you know, uh, you know, a learning experience or a near miss or, or you know, mm. certain situations, but I wasn't involved with, but, but still just, you know, I wanted to 
you know, there were friends of mine that were involved and I wanted to hear about what happened and to try to learn. So um, a lot of people ask that question a lot in the wildland. Like, hey, what's the what's the closest, you know, because it looks so chaotic, right? You yeah. know, you see footage on the news and it looks crazy. But for, um, uh, you know, so they happen sometimes. But for me, the one that sticks out that I remember was about three summers ago in just outside of the borders of Yosemite National Park on the Ferguson fire. Well, it was just a, a situation where I overcommitted. I was a new strike team leader and the strike team leader actual and myself were doing some scouting. And it was just that where you get lulled um, just farther and farther down this path where you shouldn't be in. Like for us, it was trying to get a viewpoint of fire that was below us. And we were mm -hmm. scouting for all these other crews. And it's like, well, we can't really see here. Let's go a little bit farther and then we can see more. Okay. Well, oh, you know what? If we just go around that one more curve, we'll be able to see it a lot better. And then you're like, oh, well, no, no, that curve right there, you know, and we just kept going mm. and kept going, but we were on foot and we're just trying to get a vantage point. And then the next thing you know, we realized that fire was coming at us in a way that was, was not, was not good. And, and we were in a bad spot and the time that it took to get out was was something that we weren't really uh, staying aware of because we had just kept leading ourselves down this like escalation mm -hmm. of commitment it's mm -hmm. sometimes called you know it's just mm -hmm. getting more and more and more and and it was really really sketchy getting out i mean i remember as we were getting out and we're pushing each other through the brush and going underneath it and getting hung up it, it was like i was thinking about our next option would be to run through unburned fuel down into a canyon, you know, where the fire's not. But I mean, that would not be ever, you know, part of a plan or something you wanted to do. But that was, that was a situation that, that I remember being in. And, uh, you know, I, cause I remember how, how it felt to be that panicked and it was a hundred percent preventable. Just, yeah. uh, I was just over committing by trying to get a better vantage point. But that, that's one in particular that I remember that was just a few years back. Hmm. So what, so it makes me want to, makes me think about risk management, right? And what in that world, when you're doing those kind of operations, what are you guys, do you have a tool that you use kind of mentally to kind of work through your risk management? Yes. And so the, uh, it's called the, you know, nationally, um, nationwide, for any anybody that goes on wildland, there's it's called the Incident Response Pocket Guide, the IRPG, and it's just a, a a small booklet that fits in your gear. You're supposed to carry it with you all the time. There are ten standard fire orders. There are eighteen situations that we can get in. You know that that, that shout watch out. You know and those mm -hmm. are like the basics. But but really that risk management that is in there is really the driving force for everything that we do yeah. um, people that have been fighting fire for a long time whether it's structure or wildland over the years they've implemented and come up with a process that they use for their decision making and for their risk management which would be um, and so risk management briefly you know it has five points it's our, our risk management is straight out of the that irpg it's page one in the mm -hmm. irpg and and we just learn what it means and how to teach it, but it's, it's situational awareness, mm -hmm. being aware of your surroundings, um, hazard assessment, assessing the hazards. And then once you've assessed that there is a hazard, hazard control, how can you control that hazard before you can move on? And then you're going to reevaluate your decisions and make a decision. And it's your decision point. Um, it's your decision point, And then you continue to reevaluate and go through it again. But it's those those points that you go through. That's the risk management process that they use in the right. wildland. And we've really adopted it a lot uh, for the same thought process. So it carries over um, well into the structure side as well. It's that situational awareness, hazard assessment, hazard control, make a decision, that decision point, and then reevaluating. Um, that's what we use. Yeah. And in the military, um, you may have heard they use the OODA loop. Yeah. Um, it is taught a lot, which is observe, orient, decide, and act. But uh, that's our risk management process, and it's page one in the yeah. incident response pocket guide. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting it's, – it's about scale as well, right? So you pull up on a single-family dwelling. That's a very different um, picture painted for you versus uh, thousands of acre 
forest fire, right? And you're thinking right. about wind direction and, and pathways of egress and, and, you know, where the road's at, where the river's at, where, where the hillside's at, um, which directions the fire moving, et cetera, and the terrain features and, um, where versus a house, you're like, okay, has it spread? Is it inside of a bedroom or has it spread into the structure? Um, do I have any exposures outside of this house? Like it's pretty contained. Uh, right. It, it's, it, it's, it, it's interesting, right? So it's just that scale and it's scalable. And I think about, you know, we start talking about urban interface and, um, identifying, you know, what is the, the actual hazard in the hazard zone and what has already been lost. And I think sometimes we get caught up in, you know, we got to get in there and say, we got to move, take a, a, a residential mindset. Um, and we do that, you know, we talk about this a lot, right? Taking a residential mindset into a commercial structure, right? Whereas the residential mindset is a fast, aggressive, quick knockdown and a commercial structure is much, uh, much slower, much bigger. You can't search it necessarily. And, um, and then you take that a step further. We start talking about urban interface and wildland and how do those things differ, right? Well, the risks are still, you're still managing those risks. Um, but the scale is very different. And the location and of your assets, your ability to communicate, your ability to maneuver, all those things are very different from a management perspective. Right. And and as you as you mentioned that, it makes me think about how uncomfortable I am on the structure side just because I had not done any of that. I had not been on a fire engine for nearly 10 years. And, you know, to move back into that arena, it, it's very, you know, uncomfortable and mm but I can use the same process, right? Everything that they're, they're teaching us in training that process. And, but, but I think the, the factor that is, um, that is unique on the experience side. Um, and this is for structure or wildland is that uh, fire behavior prediction. And we use that term in the, in, mm. in wildland firefighting a lot is so you're, you're looking at a screen or you're seeing the, the situation that's in front of you and you are going to make a fire behavior prediction, you're, you're guessing on you're, or you're not just guessing you're based on your experience mm -hmm. or your training, you're kind of, you know, like you said, is it a nothing fire? Is there exposures? Is this, you know, so that takes some experience. Is that fire behavior prediction? Well, if you don't have any experience, um, that's when people, they don't know what to expect, right? They're like, well, I don't know what that fire is going to do. I haven't been in this situation before. I haven't seen this enough. I, I don't right. even know where I need to move resources or what's a good place to be. Cause I, I just hadn't seen it enough. And so that, that fire behavior prediction is the part that comes from experience. And, and like I said, for myself on the, you know, structure side is, you know, I hadn't seen that so much as a lot of other people. Cause I was out of the mix for, for almost 10 years. Mm -hmm. So other people can just look up and, and see, Oh, this was going to do. Yeah. I've seen this thing. You know, I've seen this a hundred times. Whereas yeah. if, if you don't have those, as they say, those slides, in your carousel, right? Um, you know, you, you just default on the procedure and the process, which is still a safe yeah. way to go. But yeah. Until you, until you, you're able to make that prediction, you know, based on experiences. Right. Yeah. You just totally aged yourself right there, brother slides in the carousel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. PowerPoint slides. There you go. <laughs> oh, it's funny. Hey Matt, but it's, it's true. It's building those sets and reps, right. And having those experiences and, um, which, which makes me think about it. It's, it's really interesting is we talk, um, uh, we talk about incident review after action reviews or tailboards or whatever you want to call them. Right. But it, you know, we have these experiences and it's super important that we, uh, review them and discuss them afterwards. Um, because you can have this one experience and you can learn a lot from it, or you can have this experience and learn nothing. And I've seen that it happened to me. I've had plenty of fires where I look back and go, yeah, I don't, I don't know. We didn't talk about it. We didn't think about it. Yeah, it went well. Fire went out and we went home and all's well. And we didn't have the energy or we didn't take the time or for whatever reason, we didn't talk through what took place. And there's so much you can learn while standing at the tailboard of a fire truck and talking about what went, what, what went well and what went poorly. What would you do differently next time? And building that slideshow, um, by anchoring it with things that you actually, you know, by talking it through with your peers. And, uh, I think that's huge. And it's, a a very important aspect of skill development and building those sets and reps to make them meaningful. Oh, it is huge. There's so much opportunities there that I, that is something that I was not that great at. 
and then I got better at it as time went on or, or I'm, I'm intentional about getting better at those after, after action reviews, because yeah. like you said, we would, we would have this experience beyond this incident. And then as soon as you get back to the fire station or the base or the camp, everybody kind of scatters and goes off into their, to do their things. And then it's time to go home and you only had your perspective and you didn't get to hear from anybody else. If they had questions, you know, right. you thought maybe you were, you, you were giving clear instructions, but maybe nobody, nobody really knew what the heck you were even talking about, you know? And, yeah. and so there, there, it is inconvenient sometimes to put everything on pause. You know, even people want to go home, you know, if it's something that you have in the morning before shift change or something, but, it, but yeah. just getting that, that moment, maybe even before you leave scene, before you get distracted back at the station is yeah. to just go over it real quick. Hey, here's some things I wanted to bring up. What else did you have? You know, and then you go around and ask each individual, but I did have a lot of missed opportunities um, that I didn't do that for as, as a normal practice for a long time. And then, um, as I said, I've just been trying to be more intentional about doing that. Yeah. I think that's huge. One of the things I think that's, that's challenging with that is creating a culture that is free of judgment so that people are willing, it's built, it's full of trust and dare I say love and a desire to be better. And with that comes the willingness to share. And cause I think a lot of times when guys are like, well, what, what happened on that fire? I don't want to say anything because I'm going to get filleted because I made a mistake and you know, I don't want anyone to know that. Right. So I think that it's, it's really important that we foster room for that. So as an incident commander or as the crew boss or whatever, you have to be the first one to say, Hey, here's some things that went well for me. And here's something I struggled with on this incident. I, I totally screwed this up. This is what I would have done differently. And when you have that self-deprecating uh, perspective, people go, Oh, we can actually talk about our mistakes and share them so that the next person coming down goes, Oh, I didn't see that either. Cause somebody inevitably is standing there going, Hey, they either saw what happened <laughs> and you're not owning it. So you're not going to have, you're going to lose them right from an integrity perspective. Or they're like, man, something went sideways on this, but I don't have enough uh, depth to know what really happened. It just didn't feel right. So when you have some seasoning and you go, Hey, Here's what happened. I made this mistake here, and this is the result. Now some younger firefighters are like, okay, and they're learning from that experience uh, as you label it and kind of kind of talk about what happened and what went wrong. This is because there's no, I mean, there's no unique mistakes, right? These are all things that we're, you know, no fire ground has ever been perfect. So, yeah, you're absolutely right, hundred percent. But the the leader sets the tone on that, especially for newer people. They don't even know how these these ARs or after accident reviews are supposed to go. Mm -hmm. But if you set the tone of, you know, here's, here's what was planned. Here's what happened. Here's what I learned. And even admitting your mistakes, then yeah. it sets the tone right away. Yeah. Oh, this is the kind of thing we're talking about here. Hey, yeah. uh, you know, here's what I learned. Here's what I messed up on. Here's what I can do better next time. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's important for leaders to be uh, willing to share and vulnerable you know, at the end of the day, uh, we are, we all have to work toward being better. And, uh, and, and how do you do that? If you don't admit that you have some flaws, right? You gotta, you gotta recognize that you have areas to grow and that you're going to make some mistakes from here, from, you know, from here until the end. And hopefully you just, those get farther and fewer between and, and hopefully that you, you get more skilled in that. And, uh, yeah. you know, I have conversations with, with friends and peers and, you know, on a regular basis where I go, Whoa, okay, I've, I hadn't heard that perspective and man, that really, okay, I got to stop for a second and, and think, why am I not thinking of something in terms of, you know, in their perspective I'm, and try to absorb their viewpoint and learn from it. It's huge. All right. I'm going to ask you a hard question. What, Shoot. <laughs> what does good leadership look like to you? So for, that is a tough question. Um, but for me, I, I've looked up to the leaders, as we mentioned earlier, that carry a good reputation, um, you know, because that, that's, that's built up over time. It's not just because you're, you know, you're given a rank or something, but, but, but they're the things that, um, you know, that they're, 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 they can handle it physically, number one, right? They're, they're a leader on the fire ground physic physically they they've or they carry a reputation as you know being somebody that can lead you know not just 
not just from the cab, but actually on the fire ground as well. Um, and also, I always have respected the leaders that aren't afraid to get in there and do the hard work that needs to be done when when it's appropriate for them. You know, they're not afraid to get in there and get their hands dirty. Um, that work ethic has always been a really um, something that I've always admired. And I've followed those mentors. And so I think for me, that's a core value is, is that work ethic and not shying away from inconvenient things that maybe other people don't want to do, but, but being able to handle that. But, uh, so that, that's one thing kind of more on just on the reputation and, and on the physicality side, but, um, but a good leader is somebody that communicates clearly what needs to get done and also communicates clearly what their expectations of are, are of you, you know, what your role is in that and what is expected so that you can go ahead and execute on that. And it's clear, you're not just left, you know, it's not ambiguous, it's clear, you know, and you have the latitude to, to perform it to the best of your abilities there. Um, and then um, one more thing I'd like to mention that I th- think a good leader is also, we mentioned it and we talked about it a lot earlier was um, being trustworthy, somebody that you can, that you have, um, that you can trust to talk to, you know, that they, they care about what you have to say. They really want to see you, you know, safe number one, but to see you grow and, and they're willing to help you, but that you can, um, you know, again, that, that trust that they're, uh, and, and that trust and consistency that, you know, who, you, who they are and what you're getting when you're around them and what you can expect from them. It's not like a bipolar person that you just don't even know whether they're coming or going and they're going to flame out on you like they did like that last time or do we got the <laughs> the cool guy today that you can actually talk to and have a conversation so um but just that that consistent i guess steady um hard-working leader i guess is the the leader that i i enjoy working for i like that i think it's so important you know what i hear in that is that the setting of an example right and and leading from the front, so important. You know, and so important, the, yeah. And the building of trust is is so critical to me. What what's in order to do that? It's about time in. You gotta you gotta show people that you care by being invested in them. And then you know you talked about this. Or we talked about this earlier, but the the idea that you're gonna follow up on what you say you're gonna do, and you're gonna hold hold fast to what you said the expectation was. That's so important. Yeah. You know, and I, and I will say one thing about, uh, you know, you kind of uh, alluded to it, but it was that leading by example. Mm-hmm. So I, I will say, I do want to bring up though, that leading by example can only take you so far. I, I remember that that was something that I was really trying to hang my hat on as a new leader. Well, I'll just show them everything I need them to do, you know, and mm-hmm. I'll just lead by example and, and they'll just want to be like me if I'm just doing these things. And, and what I started to find the, you know, was that, you know, people sometimes are, are perfectly fine with you doing the hard tasks. You can ask them to do it. They're not going to participate. So leading by example, you know, sometimes you, you got to lay down, like I said, those expectations because yeah. you can be out there rolling hose by yourself and they're looking from the blinds going, well, I don't know. He yeah. didn't say he needs anything. I think he yeah. just likes to do that stuff out there by himself. He didn't <laughs> say anything to us, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think that it's good you unpack that a little bit because leading by example, you do hear people throw it out there. Um, but if you don't set the expectations and don't tell people what's expected of them and nobody's following you, you can, you're not leading. So you can be out there all by yourself rolling hose, like you said, and it might be the most right thing to be doing, but sometimes leadership takes engagement and you got to go in and actually address your folks right? And say, Hey, here's what we need to do today. And then you lead them. And then it's followed up your, you know, the leading by example is having integrity and doing what you say you're going to do and, and setting a good example of a model employee or model, you know, member of the team, what that looks like. And, and then holding fast to what's expected. I think that's so, I'm glad you unpacked that a little bit. The, uh, uh, I want to, I want to ask you about prep and defend. So you started an Instagram page and a podcast and um and why why'd you do that (laughs) speaking of leadership because to me yeah that's you know you said hey i'm going to put some good quality information out there i'm going to try and you know provide some leadership to the fire service at large so tell me more about that well definitely and i i am trying to provide a lot of uh good information putting it out there through um so venture athlete 
is uh is my website and you know there's an llc that it's under but really everything that i put out is under the prep and defend name and and that's a that's a uh, structure protection wildland you know urban interface term that we use you know but but it was just uh but prep and defend what i'm doing there is we've talked this whole episode you know we've been talking about leadership but another that's something i'm super passionate about and and even more so of course as i go on in my career and i get to lead more and more and have influence um and get to pour into more people you know that's something that i'm passionate about but but also the other thing that i've just always been all about since i've been on the job was the fitness side of things so um fitness and then not just personal fitness but i was able to in those years that i was doing the wildland stuff and now back in the station is the the fitness leadership aspect as well you know we talked about leading by example but um but you know i'm definitely someone who who enjoys pushing pushing physically and i like being around other people that like to push themselves and try to make each other better you know, we have that physical outlet to do that every day. Mm. So that's really what I started with Prep and Defend. It started with just some um, programming and the things that I learned and the, the fitness lessons kind of that I learned through leading teams on, you know, not just, you know, workouts that we can do that are hard, but actually what's preparing us for job for the job of a firefighter. And so the, you know, I started kind of studying a lot on some strength and conditioning and, um, and just kind of trying to, to build something for us as firefighters. And at the time it was the wildland firefighters, but that's really where it started from was, was that. And then it just, as it, you put something like that out there, then there's really a lot of education that comes in. You want to teach people about this and you want to teach people, oh, you know, here's why we're doing this. And here's why we're doing that. So it's, it's really kind of, it started as just a fitness kind of a brand, but more and more now um, it just started the podcast a couple months ago, the prep and defense show. And we, we talk fitness and we talk fire stuff, but it really, it's that lifestyle of leadership and also the family aspect. Um, you know, mental wellness comes up very often just mm-hmm. kind of organically, but, mm-hmm. uh, that's really what prep and defend is, is all about is just, uh, it's a kind of a fitness brand, but it's centered around tactical athletes and the fire service because that's my wheelhouse. And, um, you know, of course, again, we talk leadership and family and just, just all the other real stuff. So, Nice. Well, if uh, if folks want to reach out and find you, I guess it's Prep and Defend on IG. And then what was the what was your email address? Yeah, it's uh, or the the website is Venture. It's spelled Ventura, so VentureAthlete.com. But if you go just to the best place, yeah, if you if you just Google Prep and Defend, you'll find the podcast on any of the podcast platforms, and there's links to all of our websites and everything. And um, and same thing if you go to Prep underscore and underscore defend on Instagram. Um, you can click the links there and, uh, you'll, you'll see a bunch of content there. I have a ton of YouTube videos as well, teaching, um, just movements and equipment kind of reviews, just a bunch of, of things that I've accumulated over the years, but it's also prep and defend on YouTube. But, uh, I guess Instagram is probably the best place to find me. Most people are there and, and you'll find the link tree for everything else. And, um, you can email me or, or message me. And, and if you have any questions or anything that I can help you out with or answer questions or mentor, you know, that, I'm really happy to do that. Right on. Well, let me ask you one, one final question. If you had 18 year old Chris standing right in front of you, what would you tell him? I think, uh, you know, my, I'm, I'm a person that I really don't have, a lot of, I don't have a lot of regrets as far, you know, as I would really, um, the, the path that I've taken, you know, I, I don't think I would, I would change anything, but, but I would say, again, we're talking kind of like more of the real stuff and the lifestyle part would be, and it was told to me as I was a very young firefighter, but, um, but certainly to work less and, you know, make more time for the family, you know, as my kids are a little bit older and, and teenagers now, you know, everybody always says you don't get that time back. And it's so true. And you just get so focused on your career and, and doing well, maybe at your job because you're there every day or whatever it is. But that's what I would say would be to, um, you know, set that priority much earlier to, uh, you know, I I think I went probably 10 years before I took like an annual vacation, you know, I just (laughs) kind of didn't operate like that to, to take, to take those breaks and to, to make that stuff count, you know, while, while you got the little ones little and, uh, you know, before everything changes later on. But just if, if, if I could do that more throughout my career, I think that would, uh, 
you know, I wouldn't regret that either. No, wise words, man. Chris, thank you so much for your time, brother. It's been great. Oh, thank you. Thank you uh, once again. I, I love talking to you, and, and it was a great discussion. Thank you. Hey, that's all we have for today. Thanks for tuning in. Special thanks to Chris for being our guest today and sharing some of his thoughts and knowledge and experiences. If you're enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform you enjoy most. Subscribe, and this podcast will download in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Also, get on over to Apple Podcasts, rate and review the podcast, or shoot me an email, send me some feedback. Always down for uh, any thoughts or opinions that you might have. Help me uh, make this a better podcast, more enjoyable for you, etc. Now, take the lessons learned today. Go on out there, imbue them into your life, and get after it. Go on now, get some.